Hello and welcome to the uh, Fantasy Book of the Month podcast where we read and talk about books, except not this time, because this time we have a guest to interview. That is the author Tom Lloyd, uh, whose book, Princess of Blood, I talked about back in episode four. 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 <laughs> My goodness. Uh, and this time uh, we have all uh, read uh, uh, Stranger, Stranger of Tempest. Stranger of Tempest. Yeah. I got, I got you, Peter. I got you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I don't know what words are or how to use them. So uh, uh, normally we introduce everybody, but uh, I think we seem to be skipping that on interview episodes. So let's just introduce Tom Lloyd. Tom, thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's oh my gosh, you're British. I'm very British, I'm afraid. Oh no, how did we let this happen? <laughs> Those darn foreigners, you guys. Okay, look, British <laughs> is a bit much for us. Can you be Irish instead? Oh, because my Irish friends will kill me. Oh, see, okay, okay, you, you, you found out my, uh, my secret trap. So British okay. and middle class that my Irish accent is deeply offensive. That's, <laughs> see, now I really, really want to hear it, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I I won't put you on that spot. I'll put you on a bunch of other spots. Um, okay, and uh, I guess so. We we read Stranger of Tempest. Uh, I know you have more recent work out there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that before we start digging into the book we did read? Just as a personal oh. plug. Um, well, I have I've now finished the series that Stranger of Tempest started. Oh yes, um, I've read it all. Excellent. That's what I love to hear. <laughs> um, and after that, I did. Um, what did I do? I did a short science fiction novel. And I was it Falling Dark, wasn't it? Falling Dark. That's the puppy. Excellent. And coming in April, I've got a um, because I'm an idiot. I've got a historical fiction novel, which if it if anything is going to irritate um, purists, it'll be that one. Oh, Looking okay. Forward to that. Yeah. Well, honestly. Okay, so one of our one of the books that I read for this podcast is seems like one of those historical inspired fiction books that was designed not to irritate purists, <laughs> and I had nothing good to say about it. So I think you're probably on the right track. Um, yes, yes. I mean, it depends. Think... Wait, wait. How many yeah. times do you use the word sabaton? <laughs> um, I don't think I do actually. Okay. But you you're... need it in there at least once now. No, no, no. He scores ahead <laughs> of that other guy. Okay, fantastic. It's um, the book's called Verona in Autumn, so it's a um, a sequel of sorts to Romeo and Juliet. So Shakespeare Ooh. was sort of very, very dodgy on his actual historical research. I, I, I felt it. like Romeo I get away and Juliet with too. Making up stuff. Yeah. He, sh he should have just checked Wikipedia, honestly. <laughs> do do Romeo and Juliet come back from the dead? Um, well, it starts with them um, surviving. Oh, uh, okay. Romeo is cheated by the apothecary and just given um, sugar water. So he doesn't die. Therefore, Juliet doesn't die. And yes. they go into exile instead because he's just murdered someone. Oh, it's oh. the main the main story is them coming back 20 years later with the feud having never ended. I love it. Okay, okay so that, that, that is awesome. Yeah, no, that is a really compelling log line. Um, Some people hate the idea. It's the idea of messing with Shakespeare, um, changing any sort of ending. I mean, 
I'm pretty sure Shakespeare's legacy is secure. So I think I can mess around as much as I want. <laughs> People are gonna be... Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, if you can do Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, I think you can do this. Right, um... exactly. <laughs> Imagine your career if you had that sort of power. Like, what? Who? Who? Who yeah. could reach out and and smudge the name of Shakespeare across the screen? <laughs> <laughs> I just read a uh, one of the Spiffbo finalists, and it was scales and sensibility. So I'm like, ah. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I did. I was well, forced I... to read it. I would normally not one of my normal reads, but it was guess what it was. Was it terrible? No, I bet it Rachel was well written. Like it. Okay. <laughs> it was just an historical ram- romance, but with dragons. It's exactly what it was on the tin. What <laughs> one of the publishers oh. I submitted the book to, um, guy basically replied he replied nice and quickly and he said, Yeah, I'm not sure how to quite sell this. Um could you like do something like put zombies in? Because then it's sort of it's an easily categorized. <laughs> you know, you wow. want to rewrite a historical novel and just put the zombies in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a whole no. Thing. Here's here's the twist: Romeo and Juliet did die, but they're the zombies. Yes, nailed it. All right, that'll, that'll be the there, sequel. You... Ooh, the <laughs> sequel to the sequel. You mean a trilogy? <laughs> no, no, I mean something different. Um, some other word that's better than that. <laughs> Ooh, or what about people exploring haunted Hamlet's castle? And <laughs> okay, dang! Now, now yeah, we can't, we can't, okay. we can't get off on this. We have to actually. Yeah, no, new new <laughs> podcast. We just we just think about Shakespeare sequels um, with our I'm new best it. friend Tom. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, but so uh, hopefully, hopefully, some of my co-hosts have uh, come prepared with questions for this 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 man. Anyone? It sounds like Peter didn't. Yeah. No, no, I did too. I just don't. I just don't want to make it all about me. Oh, there's sure first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, can resist. <clears throat> That's fair. Well, hello, Tom, oh. our new best friend. Oh. Um, I did have a question. If that's okay. Absolutely. We're putting <laughs> putting a stop to the frivolity and going straight to the meat. The fantasy. That's what I what, like. <laughs> what were I for the life of me I cannot remember what were your like underground dwelling people's names like what were they called Oh you've asked me that I've gone totally blank <laughs> Aha <laughs> I put you on the spot I went too hard of a question <laughs> Oh my god what is wrong with my brain I've totally forgotten them Um well, the it's, it's like going it? in for an exam There you go the Jugar, uh, yes, yes, yeah. thank you. God, a moment we of utter panic. We were trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've scared him. <laughs> I wrote half a million words about these people. <laughs> yeah, we might have not remembered it in the entire previous episode. <laughs> yeah, we we really struggled to remember it last time, so we just had to get that out in the middle now. <laughs> now, wait, wait, are those? the precursor people or are those the people who live underground now and communicate with glowing finger sign uh those were the precursor people okay so um, what do you call the the other one um they're usually called wisps i think or whispers wisps thank wisps. you wisps yes okay yes i couldn't remember that that name 
also when we recorded yeah uh when we recorded the the previous one where we talked about the book in depth we we did bring up that the the glowing finger talk was just amazing it was such a crazy weird idea but it works and it was good it was very interesting so that that was something i pretty much hadn't planned at all um oh really i think at one point i never really planned on them encountering them in the book and then it just happened i went oh god i've got to do something about this i've got to know what i'm talking about <laughs> so, but, well so you, you didn't plan on them encountering them did you you knew that the wisps existed yes but you didn't know that they were going to run into them it was um this book i was i was trying not to plan too much um in the past i've i've over planned things i think so um i was trying to just enjoy myself a bit more and i think they were pretty much it was a it was almost an offhand reference from toil i think um because she's mm -hmm. the one who'd encountered them before and so i, I put that in and yeah it, it didn't really occur to me that i might have to make good on this until the point where it was obvious <laughs> i would have to which is how I do a lot of my planning. I randomly chuck something in and then realize that it can't just be a red herring and I have to do some thinking. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you, uh, you write by the seat of your pants a little bit more than, than you're plotting? Yes. Um, I, for the twilight rain, my first series, I, I had a lot of detail because I was learning to write while I was writing book one. Mm -hmm. So I was going back over and just sheer amount of time involved meant I was thinking a lot about the mythology and the magic and everything like that. So I had all of this sort of worked out in my head and therefore bits started filtering into the plot and I had a had a fairly clear structure. Even when I didn't know what ha was happening in the books, I knew what ha just had to happen. And so that gave me a structure without even having to write a synopsis. And so I can then fill it in. So... I wanted to I wanted to stretch myself, do something a bit different. And so I wanted to just relax into it, enjoy um, the writing, have a bit more fun. And cause I think possibly got a bit too serious in the Twilight Reign because events are very serious and there's a huge number of people dying and um, things are falling apart. Um that's fine and it's epic fantasy so you've got to <laughs> you've got to have high stakes especially when literally the gods are threatened um but I, I wanted to have just a bit more fun with it so i wanted a series where if i didn't know what was going to happen i was basically going to have the characters sit around have an argument have a drink and some of that would stay in and some of it wouldn't and it would just lead into whatever i was doing next so yeah i i make myself pants it um on a regular basis just to sort of keep it interesting and keep my brain ticking over that sounds like a good plan sometimes it's, i mean it certainly feels like it worked it certainly certainly feels like it worked for this series which i enjoyed a great deal Excellent. thank you i mean how do you avoid uh for instance you know like there's a very clearly a point in this novel where uh the 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 company splits and we and we follow sort of key characters there mm. how do you decide who those you know key characters are what side characters are coming along when you're pantsing like that is that part of your editing process or does it is all of that just for the moment decisions 
it came comes very naturally actually i mean um certainly my agent wanted there to be fewer characters involved um <laughs> the ones i was enjoying writing so even ones like um Afton Dean Dean is a deeply yeah, unpleasant that's character. Say, that's what that's that's why Dean is going along because he's fun to write. I mean, and <laughs> in, in in sort of the normal course of events, Dean would have been killed at some point, um, and it, I just I, he he kept surviving because he was entertaining and he amused me, and I could mm-hmm. indulge a certain amount of unpleasantness and have someone. It didn't matter how bad things were. You really hated Dean still, and didn't matter how exhausted yes. and miserable they they still they still they could focus on him. And go, hate you. You really, <laughs> even even though they're fighting <laughs> alongside him, and that just, that that amused me to have that that sort of contrast. Oh, I thought it was a great dynamic. Yeah, and I, I think that like that's expanded too in in the sort of distance between your the the kind of primary party and the antagonists that are following along after them that they they never really like collide in any sort of way until like the very end and uh to be honest to hear hear you say that like you pantsed that also would be would be kind of uh astonishing because it when you when you get to that final scene outside of the cave when they're confronting this person who's mm-hmm. been chasing after them for so long and that interaction is so i felt like so emotional between these two people that really had not really ever met uh it's it sounds crazy to me that somehow that was accomplished without a whole lot of planning yeah well that that was that was zero planning um i (laughs) i think i assumed well i I was working on the basic because they have guns um everything is a bit less up close and personal so Mm -hmm. Having having some sort of a dynamic there. I mean, I wanted them to immediately. I got to the end and went, "This feels right." But if you're shooting guns at people, you don't know their name, you don't see their faces most of the time. It's just bang, someone's gone or they've disappeared in the distance. You don't know where they are. So it's if it, it, that felt quite natural to just have a distance between them, because this wasn't an epic fantasy where they were going to have to ram a sword into their guts and actually look in look in their eyes. Yeah, the the back third of the novel uh, <laughs> really really turns on uh, who's throwing grenades when, <laughs> which I found really enjoyable. Uh, you know, just like people hearing explosions that then we got to read about, you know, later on or sometimes beforehand of uh, which person decided like I will be the chaos gremlin this time and throw <laughs> a bag of grenades off this cliff. <laughs> uh, yes, and it, that was yeah, that was the fun bit of it that I I felt I had given myself the freedom to I think mean, when yeah when they first get to the rift, um, I think I was largely thinking I want to wake up something horrible, but I don't really have a plan of how this is going to happen. So yeah, just allowing someone to be a dick um, <laughs> was was entertaining oh to my me. Gosh. They can just they, they can they can indulge their their own sort of childishness. Well, it worked very well. It was so entertaining, especially you know the chaos gremlins, <laughs> as Dan said. Good. Well, yeah, I think I leaned into it quite hard in book three, where it's effectively um, the cards go on holiday. Yeah, and so they go to. Oh no! <laughs> they're basically they're going to the seaside <laughs> because they made some enemies, and so of course. You literally everything everything goes horribly. Made a beach episode, <laughs> not quite a beach episode. They're they're by the sea, but 
<laughs> right. We we don't, as I recall, get any just any descriptions of everyone, you know, in a bikini or or in swim trunks. They don't they don't get a, a clear costume change. Oh man, I need links in a bikini now. <laughs> although 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 we do get some Oh, okay. That's there true. we go. That's, That's good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that at the end, at the very, very end when they're like in jail and then they have to parade past all the women naked. Oh my god, that was hilarious. Good. Well, the, the, I was reading that. I was I was listening to that in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly remember like there were just people all around me and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm sure I was at work. <laughs> Like, you know. <laughs> I was reading it in the privacy of my own home as God Loser. intended. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to, re- you told us to read this. And I was like, I guess I'll listen to this at work. Because what else am I going to do? Well, did it make work more fun? Uh, it was interesting. I assume headphones were involved and you weren't like piping it through the speakers in the ceiling or something. Oh, no. Don't, don't, don't yeah. ruin my imagery, Dan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, it seemed only reasonable all to right, have well, all the so... men naked at the end, um, because they'd walked in on toil right at the start. I thought there's no way I can <laughs> I, I can't do a scene like that with and with her personality without some sort of revenge happening. Oh yes, yeah. Well, and I mean, it just feels like a fair response to the century of mostly masculine gazed uh fantasy fiction um which which leads to a question that we were asking ourselves uh when while we were talking about the book um how intentional is links as an inversion of the uh kind of standard fantasy hero character because he's not because he's not young mm-hmm. and bright-eyed mm-hmm. and fit looking uh you know he is yeah. old and fat still strong but like you know and not not super pure of heart um even though he aches has you know a good core injury. yeah right aches and pains injuries um or or even the, like kind of that additional level um where simply by not describing a character, um, the mostly white audience tends to assume that they're white. Uh, and you also clearly made that, uh, you know, impossible, which is great. Um, and so, so how intentional were all of those things, like leading up to links being just practically the opposite of your your default protagonist was i'm trying i'm trying to think how how deliberate it was and how much it was just devolved from how i worked out who he was um so i started when i started the book it was very much i had two images in my head um both of which were short stories i'd never sort of really worked out how to write and so they were just sitting around until I hit to the point where um, I needed them for something. So the images were a man waking up in prison and not knowing if he was um, 
if he was going to be executed. Like he, he knew he was in trouble, but he didn't know if he'd done it. He couldn't remember anything about it. And um, <laughs> a woman um, being supposedly rescued by a heroic knight and then um, it turning out clear that she doesn't need rescuing and quite possibly she ends up needing to rescue him. So I had those of those two stories, which never really went anywhere. Um, but when I was trying to work out links, I had, okay, he is in prison. If he's not surprised that he's in prison, and he's clearly not had the easiest of lives. And so I wanted to have character with a moral core, but there being a lot of baggage there. And he's, he only really came into life when but I, I thought doesn't quite work if he if you look at him as the archetype fantasy hero that just that image doesn't fit the the piece and the puzzle doesn't go in in my brain um so mm. i don't so what can i do to make him different to that in a way that it feels like there's an there's sort of there's a lot more to him and so yes i put in the emotional trauma um for background and it only really clicked into place when actually he was a bit overweight and was using food as a thing to sort of focus on to like get through his trauma in many ways. Um, mm -hmm. if, I, if I wanted this loner who had a, had a sort of not quite a heart of gold, but a heart of something. Um, and <laughs> but, so someone who could join a mercenary company, but wasn't really the standard mercenary, which is largely killing people for money. Um, and uh, so I, I was just trying to put pieces together and work out. And at some point he just, it, it felt like he was a real person in my head. Felt like I, I could then actually carry on with the story from there. So I'd written, I'd clearly written some chapters and then went back to it and said, okay, now I know who he is. I can rewrite these chapters um, because I've properly met links. It wasn't, it wasn't that deliberate to say, I'm not going to step away from this, but it was, I wanted to do something different. Isaac um, in The Twilight Reign was an overblown version of the sort of the archetypal um, male hero. And it, was mm -hmm. meant, it was meant to be over the top because he is he's enormous and he's extremely violent because this is what is expected of him. But he is um, effectively a white man um, with a lot of personal or a lot of physical power who's handed um, a position that he doesn't really he doesn't deserve or merit except it's just all being chucked onto him so I'd sort of I'd done the overblown um, hero mm -hmm. side of things so I wanted to do something a bit more different a bit more me because frankly I'm not 18 anymore and <laughs> yeah. I know I looked at your Wikipedia page which, Creep. Which, I, th I think the I think the photo there is a good ten years old. <laughs> Actually, so that, that leads me to a, I had a, a a frivolous question, um, which is when did you first learn that you had a Wikipedia page? Oh, I can't remember when it was. I used to on my website. I used to have a, a sort of a small but um, perfectly formed forum. Um, where I had fans actually interacting, talking about the books. It was really good until a spammer hacked the whole thing and just wow. wrecked it. Oh, no. Which was annoying. So that would have been, um, I don't know, 2010-ish, I think. So the book, I think the, the series was was moving on, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe 2012. Um, so I had a good number of the books out, um, and there was... Mm -hmm. 
was sort of enough people who'd read it to have a bit of a community about things. And I think someone there said, oh, by the way, I've done you a Wikipedia page, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, well, and then, you know, it's still there. So the, the fact that nobody has said, who's this Tom Lloyd? He doesn't merit a page and deleted it is great. Is that possible? Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't be I worried. I would just be there forever. and it would be, I could look like I was important. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, oh, no. I've destroyed you. I um, mean, you, you might even, you'll be ahead of literally everyone else on this podcast. None of us have Wikipedia pages. Uh, speak for yourself, Rachel. Oh, you oh, have cool. a Wikipedia page, Nick? I'm, I'm making one right now. <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah well, you don't know his... is mechanical is, keyboard clacking six Nick feet committed tall some pretty famous crimes, so. oh you're lying on your wikipedia page <laughs> uh, so there well, there is i there is a peter schaefer wikipedia page about an author but he's um the age same age as my father um so he's not me so i got an email once from a fan um saying um are you the 60s kinetic artist tom lloyd They'd sent it through my website, mm. which has a photo of me when I was 26. <laughs> so going, How well do you think I've aged that, that I was working in the 60s? <laughs> Just really, really oh, well. Oh, it's an old photo. Exceedingly. <laughs> it's an old. I mean, I might not even be 26, so I can't talk. That's why we don't let you talk much. Um, hey, go back to your room, Rachel. <laughs> right, go, go play outside with the other children. <laughs> I have a master's degree. Thank you very much. Go play outside with the others. Other master's Write a report about it. Degrees. Oh my gosh! I don't know why. I don't know why we turned on Rachel in this interview. Uh, because she said usually something. how interviews go is that the interviewers turn on each other. I don't think. But that's the kind of great content you get around here. Too many thoughts meeting. Well, we did get uh, that negative review that was questioning our ability to review books. And if we're just friends talking. I mean, for that matter, I question our ability to review books. Surely if your um, friend's talking about books, then that's good enough. Yeah, yeah, Tom, that's right. Five stars, that's Tom, for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Tom. Be sure to uh, like and subscribe. And leave a review <laughs> on your way out. Um, this is the real reason we got you on the interview is to try to get a five star review out of you. That is commitment. I swear we. Well, uh, this is a relative. Do you have a thing where it's like, oh, people read my books? Because we we commonly were like, oh, people listen to this. What? <laughs> yeah, it's still strange. A little imposter. I've been doing syndrome. it for years, and it's still it's very strange. I think weirdest feeling was. So, which one is it? Twilight Herald, my second book. Um, I dedicated that to my nieces who had just been born. And over lockdown, my, mm. one of my nieces read everything I'd ever written in, sight in a week. Oh, wow. so my entire career wow. for her, That's, pretty yeah. much her entire life. Yeah, she read it in a week. I went, where's the rest? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, no, I that idea, right? So you you wrote that now 16 years ago. 
um, which means that that niece is now 16, maybe 15. Yeah, depending. she's turning 16 in a few months. Oh, my goodness. Well, happy birthday to her. And uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's got to be a weird feeling to know that the book you wrote when she was born was is now like now she could read it she can read everything yeah, you've yeah, read and, and her dad has read has read them all and said yep the language is okay for her now she's old enough that she can she can read all the swearing mm. she wants mm. <laughs> my daughter is desperate to read them it's like and no not yet <laughs> <laughs> no That's just right. no <laughs> do you have a do you have a an age where you're you're going to flip that switch and say now you can read my my terrible terrible disgusting writing. <laughs> Don't think I do. <laughs> I think she will probably hit sort of fourteen or something, and she'll just. I mean, th there's books all over the house, so it would be hard to stop her. Mm -hmm. reading. Yeah. And I think the I think the language oh, in Stormcaller okay. is milder than um, some of the others. So she'll she'll build up to the um, the bad bits. <laughs> okay, so you have books all over the house, which means it's a good house. Um, but that leads to one of my other prepared questions. So your house is on fire. Oh no! <laughs> Get out! All, all, all your loved ones. All your loved ones are safe. <laughs> what book do you save first? Oh man! What book? The one he's currently working on. <laughs> no, no, that's digital. That's in the cloud. He doesn't need to worry about that. Oh, oh, geez. Now I mean, I assume. Adding maybe more rules. Maybe, look, I don't know. I, I'm presuming that he's techno-literate techno enough to have his work yeah, saved in the cloud. If Dropbox is on fire, then I'm really panicking. I don't know. The data centers. Um, but, but which book do you seize and carry out with you? Oh, I have no idea. Almost stressful as well. I would. <laughs> oh. So I'm I'm in my office and I'm just looking around the shelves. Right. Yeah, of course. Of, yeah. Um, I would grab probably because it's in a box set, so I can do that. Um, I would, <laughs> I would probably I've got a earlier edition of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Ooh. Oh, I bet it's beautiful. It's quite pretty. Yeah. Oh. I was very lucky. There was a period where on eBay, people were selling um, uh, a slipcase earlier editions of various things at really quite decent prices. And they're like 30, 40 quid um, easily now each. And I, th mm -hmm. and I think like the trilogy and The Hobbit cost me £30 for all four books. Which is slight. Nice. What? For those of yeah. us who are not British money literate, <laughs> what is the difference between a quid and a pound? No, it's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, it's, God. It's, okay. It's, it's slang. <laughs> okay. Well, now the more you know. No, British yeah. slang. It's like the difference like between a dollar, a buck, and a greenback. Yeah. yeah um, Except no one says greenback. I was no just going to say, what the I hell do. is a greenback? Are, are you saying television has been lying to me all of these years? <laughs> no, yes. I, no, I, no, it's just me. I mean, about it. who would you rather believe? Years and years of television and movies or me right now? So, I mean, honestly, obviously I'm the liar. 
the, the five Americans <laughs> are going like, what the hell is a green pack? Um, so you brought up the uh, Filio editions. Are you familiar with the um, more, especially a lot of UK centric, uh, like book subscription services like mm-hmm. Fairy Loot, Illumicrate, mm-hmm. uh, The Broken Binding? Uh, and I was just wondering if you're familiar with them and like wh- if you, you had to pick one, who would you want to publish a special edition of your book? Oh. 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 I think that's hard. I think that's hard to say because all the ones I've seen recently, there's just there's not been a bad one among them. It's been your covers yeah, are I'll... pretty great already. Uh, as, as covers go, I feel like you're you're betting a thousand. De- I'm definitely not yeah, complaining I... about the covers. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I think the, the broken. <laughs> I saw um, some of the internal artwork for the broken binding edition of Chris Wooding's new book, and I thought those were gorgeous. They'd put in a huge amount of effort in that and on it beautifully i think i'd probably go yeah, for broken I'm... binding just because they're the ones that, that i've seen the shiny thing most recently anyways but i i i might be i might be very jealous of you uh brits with the pretty covers that are less expensive <laughs> how how expensive are special editions in america then or is it not really as much of uh, a thing? we don't really get special we don't really get special editions like uh, we have to when they like, do them they're usually these... like major retailers that bind sort of quote unquote oh, yeah. classic book seal mm-hmm. you'll get like well, the yeah. lord of the rings or uh eye of the world or something like that at barnes and noble right well let's see there's there is um juniper books uh that do you know special editions of of certain book series um, don't subterranean press do as well or are they not american uh, this I'm not do. sure. They do, and they're I believe in like Grim Oak Press, but those are like really expensive, like hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah I was they, on a binge for a while from the Folio Society, where I got, got like American Gods and a set of Dune mm-hmm. uh, series that were all like easily 150 bucks, uh, 150 greenbacks worth of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of books and where to buy them. Tom, do you have a favorite bookstore that I go to or that I want people to buy from? (laughs) You know what? Either one, both. I don't really have a favorite. Well, it feels strange. I mean, I live in Oxford, so it is, I think possibly there are more writers, professional writers per square mile than anywhere else in the world. Um, (laughs) But we don't actually, we don't have local independent bookstores. Which is uh, we've only got we've got well we've got Waterstones, which is a big chain, which is the big chain, um, and mm-hmm. we we've, we've got Blackwells, which is a, a lovely shop. Um, which has, you go downstairs in it and go, shop's got three times bigger. What the hell? It's, re- it's really weird. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's a big shop, but you walk down one set of stairs, and it opens a section, and then it opens afterwards another section, and there's a there's a whole open plan bit further down. You're you're well down into the basement. There's sort of two sub levels worth, and just go. This is huge because it's, and that's that's, it's not an independent bookstore. Not anymore. No, oh, an independent no. was well, an independent chain. So there weren't that many of them. A lot mm. of more academics, um, and so this one, I think it's possibly one of the original ones, um, which is why it's so big. But because it's in Oxford, um, it has a huge amount of academic stuff in it. Um, and but it was bought out by Waterstones because it just it can't compete. That's 
that that's mm, the mm-hmm. that's the sad reality of um, books these days. You have very yeah. small bookshops who are great, and they don't make any money. Yeah, I think Waterstones is also owned by the people who own Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Yep. So James Daunt um, runs that's runs great. both of them now. A certain amount of criticism from the book from the publishing trade. Right. Well, then the second, I guess the second direction to the question, is there a books, uh, bookstore you prefer people to buy your books from? Well, I think um, bookshop.org is, it's a UK um, online bookstore, mm, which mm-hmm. um, gives money to independent shops. Um, so I think that's, that's the one we try and push people towards um, because anything that gives money to independent bookstores um, makes, I think, makes a, a big difference to a contribution to the ecosystem, which, as you know, in America, it's largely, it's very big companies and no one else. Absolutely. It's just not healthy. Mm-hmm. Librio FM, which is a, a, not a, what is it, audiobook seller, you can also choose which independent seller you can support. Uh-huh. But they get to see all your audiobooks that you buy. Uh, <laughs> I found that out. <laughs> hmm. It's any- true. I can tell you, like, her whole history. Is there anything particularly shameful about <laughs> <laughs> No. Oh, I my pre- gosh. Fifty Shades of Grey in, like, the highest deaf <laughs> audio. I don't know. Does Read audio by Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> yes, by Gilbert <laughs> Gottfried. <laughs> oh, my God. I would read that. I would listen to that so many times. <laughs> All right, somebody, somebody else ask our, our very generous I'll, I'll return us to the topic of this book, Stranger of Tempest. Uh, so, Tom, the, the plot structure of this one, obviously we've talked about how you're, you, you know, uh, pantsing this book, which is the nicest way of saying, uh, making it up as you go along. Um, <laughs> you know, the, there is not really, like, a primary antagonist in like the classic sense of like a villain you know twirling their mustache in this um you know so like what was the seed conflict i guess that you wanted to focus on when you started writing the book not sure when i started writing the book i didn't have that involved i knew new toil was going to be an agent of some sort and was needing a, an escort out of the city. And so I started writing that and, and I worked out what made sense um, in terms of why, what she was doing. And mm-hmm. I can't remember now how much I'd written um, before I actually got to the point where it, it clicked into place. Um, but I thought I can just, I can have fun with this. And then at some point it'll, Hopefully, I mean, a, lo- a lot of my career goes on trust that um, it'll make sense eventually, and that'll happen before I have to deliver it to an editor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I I found it really interesting just because there are so few novels that try the that sort of tact of like uh, I'm going to take a bunch of great characters and they're going to go on a journey and we're going to experience that journey, but not really like they're not, you know, there's no ring to destroy. There's no uh, world to save. It's just the consequences of, of them and their journey that that's 
pulls the reader along. And like, I, I remember reading the black company and bouncing really hard off of it because it just sort of failed to grab me in some way, which, you know, it, it's one of those books that people will throw at you all the time as like, here's a classic yeah. of the sort of military genre. Every but time I Stranger... see Dan, I throw a copy at him. <laughs> uh, Stranger Tempest really did grab me. And I feel like it's, it's done on the strength of its characters. And, uh, uh, this is preamble to, you know, when you brought it to editors and publishers, how do you, you know, sort of convince them that this is something where that people will actually like uh, when it's so different from sort of the classic, uh, you know, hero villain structure? I think I was lucky there in that um, was had a certain amount of credit with my publisher. Um, a series before that, is, that, that before it had not gone well, um, but they appreciated that it was basically their fault for that, because I had existing fans not knowing I had a book published, which was not ideal. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought what a, the way to sell it was also the reason I wanted to write it. I wanted to have fun with this group of characters. And so if I'm having fun, I figured that other people would be as well. And Marcus is, um, my, my editor at Glance, he, he has a, a similar sense of humor um, to me in many ways. So I thought, should, as long as I'm, I'm enjoying this, I'm, I'm doing it to make myself laugh or to um, entertain myself, um, I thought I, I'll be able to carry him along as well. And then we can worry about everyone else after that point. <laughs> <laughs> i i hearing you say that is like such a great crystallization of like what what really makes the book great and i'm i guess i'm surprised that more people don't like use that as a a focal point for you know people people writing stories especially like in the fantasy genre where world building and and exploring the world is like such a big part of it and instead you know focus on sort of like a key conflict instead of just like maybe the book can just be fun and uh, you and your friends can you know each have a fun part in the book uh so you know i i i have to thank it's you i guess a, for, it's for the role playing giving game, me man. one of these that i like yeah i mean that too <laughs> i mean tom are, tom are you a role player does it is there any of that in this there isn't actually it's something i've never done which um is i think very unusual for a fantasy writer um but i've just Tom, I'm continually flabbergasted <laughs> by your response. <laughs> I've even managed to actually fail to go to the the one the one time I was meant to be doing D and D. Um, I managed to not realize that I'd been invited. So my one opportunity, I've, I've, I've managed <laughs> oh, to screw no. it up. <laughs> well, let me just interject and say that I predict in the next thirty seconds, Peter is going to uh, offer to run a game for you. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I, mean, I was going to do it do at that. some point. I mean, I, I've li I've signed my daughter up to D and D club at school, and I've never actually played it myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, if D and D isn't your cup of tea, as they say, uh you could try the well. It's an underground <laughs> game. <laughs> so much Sorry. of this interview is us trying to sell Tom things. <laughs> I, apparently. <laughs> uh, Katie is currently pitching the role-playing game that I published last year. 
So thank you, Katie. Uh, You're welcome. And it, it, Tom. Okay, but it does have kind of the same things going on, like, you mm. know, in the rift, mm -hmm. when they're fighting giant centipedes and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> eh? There's not enough flying uh, uh, teeth yeah. in Stranger of Tempest for, to, yeah. know, for it to really match up. Yeah, how do you feel about flying teeth, Tom? Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, he's in. Um, yeah, there, there, were, there were giant centipedes in book three, so. I remember. Ugh. Okay. Gross. This is very much my mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll talk later. Um, <laughs> uh, Anybody else have questions or I can keep asking about writing stuff if you guys. Want. Oh, well, okay. I was going to, I was going to follow that up with uh, whether, whether Tom, you have a favorite character from this series. This series. Yeah. Oh, that's a tricky one actually, because um, they all sort of, they all come out with um, things that entertain me um, at different times. So um, Anatin, uh, commander of the group, um, is so sort of unpleasantly useless and untrustworthy quite a lot of the time because. He, <laughs> um, but the st I think I had I had a lot of fun with the start of Princess of Blood, um, just because he was stamping around knowing everyone else was hung over, and just being unpleasant to people because it amused him to do so. So it's little little things like that that I just had a lot of had a lot of fun with, and Link's um, is, is a very easy character to like. Um, mm -hmm. Toil I find an easy character to like because she absolutely knows her worst impulses and um, leans into them um, in a very conscious way. She's not a nice person, mm -hmm. and she's not trying to be a nice person, but she can be good sometimes um, because she's intellectually she um can make the choice one way or the other which mm -hmm. I and yes then you have people like reft and din um just doing ridiculous things um i can't i can't remember which one i'm sure there was there was one of the oh yeah it must have been um princess of blood i think um where slightly out of the blue um i, I couldn't work out written something i think at the start and I, I don't know if i'd mistyped it or i'd just i'd put something down without thinking and i just thought why is that character acting weirdly and so that then turned into they were playing um like magic mushroom potluck with breakfast and <laughs> one of one of them was getting drugged and and they and they were just they, they wouldn't know who it was going to happen to until they kicked in it's, it's oh silly little God. details like that that just amuses me, and that's that's what I enjoyed doing most. <laughs> and I wanted to spread it around the company rather than just have one person being always the focus of it. Mm. And that's really, uh, I think that makes each and every character like more a person then, because everybody has kind of their own little quirks, and it's just so nice to see that that you know you're not leaving somebody behind just because oh yeah they're just a background character no they're they're having a mushroom breakfast <laughs> and it, it certainly it created complications as well because then got a wider cast of people who can, are actively doing things and they are of the cards there's five or six of them who are exceptional at something um so you actually had to think quite hard as i got through the series of saying whatever whatever job it was he had to do okay like 
they would always be turning to Teshin or Safir um, because that's just that's what they're good at and that person has to have um, have to make sure that I've mentioned them in the book so far because the fact that I, the mm. fact that I know they're in the background and they're um, they're part of this conversation they may not have actually turned up because I may not have remembered to write it that bit like that so I had to remind myself that <laughs> if I've got if I'm going to enjoy this wide cast and I'm not just going to kill them all off like, like my agent wanted um I actually have to balance it out. Ooh, I don't think I like your agent. <laughs> I was thinking it was book three where email was saying you could just you could just kill half of them and then make give yourself an easier job when it comes to focusing on characters. Where's the fun in that? Well, exactly. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants an e if you wanted an easy job, you wouldn't have chosen off. Exactly. <laughs> um so what was the uh what was the biggest change if you can remember that your editor asked for in stranger of tempest i don't think there were many actually i was i was really i was quite surprised at how little it got tweaked um there was there was one thing and i can't remember what it is now because it was quite a few years ago um but i, I remember being pleasantly surprised that actually what i delivered was pretty much what got published and obviously he like corrected the spelling and things because i'm still an idiot um but <laughs> but actually the the story the story was very intact through the process that's very nice and it's 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 good to get a level of sort of trust or buy-in from from the editor. And sometimes they go very nitty gritty, mm -hmm. um, or he just yeah couldn't be bothered. Maybe <laughs> had a busy week. Yeah, is that typical for your for your novels? Um, it is reasonably typical. I think possibly certainly for some of them. Um, Stormcaller particularly. Uh, there was a huge amount that got changed because I was I was still learning to write up to sort of the point of being publishable. Um, what I actually had delivered to Galant, so I didn't realise it at the time, but when they bought it, it was not good enough to publish. Um, and there were some fundamental issues with my writing style and my writing ability. Um, and I was just lucky that my editor um, who acquired me, Joe Fletcher, was a one of the legends of British publishing, and B she had time to spare that year. Yeah, so she had room room in her schedule for a project. Basically, the other two editors at, to fix you. <laughs> yeah, she picked me. The other two editors had also picked up debut fantasy writers, um, and so we were being published as a trio. And I think I don't know if they. I'd, well, I'm sure. Scott Lynch's editor didn't have to do as much work. Abercrombie, I'm not sure um, <laughs> how much um, was got done. I think I think it's, there was still a fair bit of um, work put in on it. But yeah, it was the three of us, and there was there was time to do it. So she went, okay, I'll take a project. And very early in the process, she sat me down and said, "We'll get better. If you don't, then we're not going beyond book three because that's she'd bought three books." And so she was very stern and very, and it was a clear warning that I've just have to get better at writing fast. Uh, I think that opportunity is, um, was wonderful fortune. 
Uh, how did you get better at writing fast? Did you just write the other books and hope that you were getting better? Or did you do something in particular to, to make that happen, to get better at writing fast? She edited um, Stormcaller quite hard and we were doing it in chunks. So she was sort of taking me through the process. So I was seeing what she was doing and mm -hmm. I don't learn stuff very well. So it took, it was not easy to analyze the tweaks she was making and translate that into how you do it properly next time. Um, a lot of it was just how, how passive I was in um, some, of, some of my sentence structure. Um, uh, which is something I always do a first draft and then I have to go back through and say, just stop talking like that. It's, it's clearly mm -hmm. a quirk of, ha of how I think and how I talk and it's not interesting. No, no one else cares. So I've got to, I've got to be better at it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a certain amount of the experience of writing book two. Um, I just, I had had a lot of time writing by that point. Well, not a lot of time, but um, I'd, ha I'd had a few more years of work and working under a certain amount of pressure because this is going to be published. And so you spend the time re looking at mm -hmm. the books you're reading and um, looking at the edits that are coming in and trying to just adjust what's going on in your head so it then makes more sense. That makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's an ongoing process. Well, it sounds like... <laughs> I mean, it sounds like an incredible sort of experience. Is that... How, does, uh, how did that... I mean, this was what, like... Um... was... 15, 16 years ago. 15, 16 years ago, yeah. 2005? So, I mean, that, that was that like... more than 15, 16 years ago. Goodness. Okay, 18. I, time is an illusion. We're still at yeah. 2019, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still in grad school. <laughs> All the good old days of 2019. Uh, no, I mean, is that is that like you go into the to an office and you guys sit down together and like walk through that process? Or... Does she come to your house? Like, how does that work? <laughs> it just sounds incredible to me. Like, I'd love that opportunity. I... The, the editor leaps out of your cupboard. <laughs> no, it was fortunate. You know, I, I don't know how it would have done before that. It was just at the point where track changes on Microsoft Word and, and sort of actual comments on documents, um, that was just at the point where that was working properly where it was actually a, a properly useful thing. So it wasn't, yeah, back in the day, it was a typed up manuscript. Jesus Christ, Tom, we're a million years old. No. You <laughs> <laughs> and so she would, she... you say that, I'm like, you mean, don't you mean the eighties? Isn't that when we worked out how comments work on documents? Like, <laughs> no, in the eighties, we were still, I learned how to write, use a type, typewriter. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I started in publishing it was technology, they had only just upgraded to sort of everyone getting a computer, it seemed. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> so yeah, Joe would um she, like, she I think, would, Tom, I think you and I are the same age, but it is uh it hurts my, my bones to hear that, you know. <laughs> Your old man bones. Yeah. Do you want to hear something? They hurt all the time weird. anyway, but yeah. <laughs> don't don't rub it in, Rachel. I was gonna say I was in the third grade in two thousand and five. It's, it's just cruel. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> How dare the young be young, you know? Right? Um, we, we should have stopped making them. 
Just remember, you don't deserve it, Rachel. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. You wouldn't. I love you. Uh-huh. Who would who would plan all the podcasts if I didn't exist? That's that's one hundred percent true. true. <laughs> yep, we'd be in a lot of trouble. old folks. Yeah, that's right. You yeah, guys just... were doing that thing where we turn on each other. Oh, right. Sorry. Instead of talking to our <laughs> esteemed guest, so Tom, um, would you like to make fun of Rachel? She's also here for that. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. it's your turn. Um, just call her young or something. That's what we do. Yeah. I, some of the guys I play tennis with. So. <laughs> I'm I'm um I'm technically captain of a tennis team and I'm constantly getting mocked for being old and slow by the rest of the team and it's getting slightly stressful where the oldest one of the, the rest of them is 27 and oh <laughs> no when, when they're when they're pointing oh, out that I'm slow it's going yes I am I'm literally old enough to be your dad pretty much oh no so I was going to I was going to say be worse if they're making fun of you for being old and slow, but they're all in their 60s. <laughs> no, fortunately not. Oh, but yeah, I, I, I at least get to mock them for the fact that I'm still at least keeping up with them. And they've, they, they've got all of these advantages of youth. And yes, I can, I can, I, right. I can still beat they, them. They should be doing yeah. much better. Uh, I will say nothing is humbler when you're going on a hike with your parents and then you're like, I'm dying. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> A few years ago, I had, um, um, I think possibly even in the same scene, a season, I managed to lose a match to um, a guy who was in his 80s. And then um, like a couple of months later, uh, my opponents, um, their combined age was um, less than my age. This was, <laughs> this was over a decade ago. <laughs> so oh, no. I should have been in my prime and losing to everyone. It was it was horrible. The eight the eight year old <laughs> been professionally rated at one point, but still he was eighty. I was like, what's worse, losing to an eighty year old or winning against an eighty year old? <laughs> Definitely the losing. Yeah. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I was delighted when I, when I beat the guy with no kneecaps. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was that was fine. I have no problem with doing that. It was a bit cruel to make him run too much. Oh but... my god! <laughs> oh my god! This is I understand. I, I understand links a little bit better now. <laughs> where he comes from? <laughs> yeah, exercise is a trap, and uh, better off just living in your house. You know they'll they'll drive cake to your house now. Did you guys know this? This is the most American I think we've ever sounded. I don't know if it's just the juxtaposition, but I mean this is an important question. Tom, can you get cake driven to your house? I can um, actually? I recently I get okay, it delivered see? free. He's it's even better. Yeah, he's got a niece for that. No, ah. she, she lives around the corner, and she and she Wait, how... she bakes um, to basically relax. Oh, so no. especially now, that's the that's best kind of person that really exists. Get that correct? Did you that's dangerous. That correct? <laughs> I, yeah, obviously, I did my research ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the surveillance van. You can you can dismiss the surveillance van now. Oh, thank God! They kept driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh. <laughs> so we've had you here for a good hour and change, and um. You know, we don't need to keep you forever. We understand that you are an adult human who has your own life and uh, probably has things you want to go do, like 
dinner or spend time with your family. I think my wife, I, I can I can see her out the the kitchen window. I think she's standing there um, trying to work out if I'm going to turn up and cook steak anytime soon. Oh, okay. That seems, that seems like a thing that you you probably we probably ought to release you to go do that. Um, does anyone have any final questions that are hopefully pretty quick? Yes. No. Um, how long does it take to get to your place so that I can have some steak too? <laughs> Wow. You live on the other yeah, side of the country. It might be a while. Ah, fine. I was going to say thank you for putting us up with our us chaos gremlins. Oh, it was great. Yes. Fun. You have been delightful. You. No, you've all been lovely. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug before you. Um, uh... If I have to plug anything, um, I think it should be Falling Dark. My little, um, what turned out to be a lockdown novel, even though I didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> um, so yes, that's my that's my SF novel set in um, a wrecked spaceship um, as the main character trying desperately to escape. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tom Lloyd, for joining us. Um, yeah, it's been a delight. You're a you're a great interviewee. Well, thank you, everyone. <laughs>